You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. It's so good to see you today. Glad that you are here. If you're a guest, we're especially glad for you to be with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we decided that we would uh, focus the entire service today on baptism. Uh, next week, we're going to launch into the book of Genesis. So uh, if, you're, if you're inclined to read ahead, uh, if you want to read Genesis chapter 1, that's where we'll be next week and several weeks after that. But this morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to praise you and thank you for your goodness and grace. Father, you have given to us an incredible stewardship. And it is a stewardship, Father, that, quite frankly, we should take good care of and give back as an offering to you. The stewardship of being part of a, of a church, the stewardship of the resources you've put in our hand, the stewardship of new disciples, those who put their faith in you and followed that with baptism. Father, you have connected it to this church, connected them to this church. And Father, may we be good stewards of training and equipping them. And, Father, I pray that you would use them mightily. Thank you, Father, for your provision this past week, for every cool drink of water, for every moment that we were able to walk into an air-conditioned home, for our cars, for the food in our pantry, to the jobs that you allow us to have, to our families, to our homes, to our church family. Father, we are deeply grateful for everything you've put into our care. Father, now we ask that you would guide us in your word this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you uh, ask any pastor that's been doing ministry any time at all to, to share a story about maybe when they first started doing baptisms, more than likely they'll have one quick to share with you. And so to start us off this morning, I have a couple of 
times where baptisms went horribly wrong. As a matter of fact, I think I, whatever book I write, that's going to be like chapter 12, when baptisms go horribly wrong. Now, just to show, just to make sure you know, and for those who are getting ready to be baptized, I haven't drowned anybody in 18 years of ministry, so there's no need to, to start worrying about that. But the first person I ever baptized, I was only in the ministry six months. For those of you who know my story, I was an electrician for 12 years. And then God called me into ministry, and I started in full-time ministry in 2005. And the senior pastor that I was working with was going to be on vacation, and we already had a baptism scheduled for that Sunday. And so he pulls me to the side and says, you're doing the baptism Sunday. Now, I would like to tell you that there are seminary classes. When I was in Bible college and in seminary, I'd like to tell you there's a class where they bring you into a room like this and train you and teach you how to do baptisms. They do not. Uh, it is a trial by fire, basically. And this young lady that I was baptized, I think she was either 15 or 16 years old. And I, I'm sure that she was even more nervous because I was scared to death. And I, there was no way to hide it. My pastor didn't do any, he didn't take any time with me to sit, you know, let's go up here and let's kind of walk through it. The church I was at at that point had the baptistry in the back behind the screen, the, the screen that we had the music on. And so he just basically said, it's yours. And I was also preaching that same Sunday while he was gone. So on that Sunday morning, and I should have done it before Sunday morning, but on that Sunday morning, I decided I would go upstairs early, kind of get ready. The baptistry was ready and everything was ready. And I realized that, that Pastor Darrell, my pastor that I served with, when he would do baptisms, he would wear fishing waders. Now, the reason he wore fishing waders was because after he did baptisms, he only had about one song to get ready and get back down in the service to be ready to preach. So you've only got three minutes, four minutes. So he started wearing fishing waders so that, you know, he could get ready quicker. He could keep his clothes on underneath and take the waders off and come right downstairs. Well, he, he was, he's a big guy. He's 6'4", at least. Well, I'm 5'9 I'm on my best day. And it was on that Sunday morning that I realized I got to use his waders. His waders are sized for a guy that's 6'4", not 5'9". I didn't bring any extra clothes that morning because I was expecting to wear the waders that he wears. Well, I'm getting ready, and I put the waders on, and they come up to here. <laughs> so obviously, I'm not going to do, do that. So I, but I can't get in the water because I don't have any extra clothes. So I thought, well, I've got to make this work. So I just take his waders, and I just roll them down, right? So I roll them down right about here. Didn't use the straps. I couldn't use them. And so we, we get into baptistry. I'm doing my thing, and this young lady's with me, and and everything's going fine. And when I, when I laid her back in the water, I leaned over. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful picture? You can just picture that in your mind, right? So I've got, I've got a, a tie on, you know, I've got my dress pants on. But when I leaned over about, I don't know, I'm guessing about 35 to 40 gallons of water goes into my waders. The water in that tank went down about six inches, right? Well, you know, for you mathematicians and science folks, you know that a gallon of water is about 8.3 pounds. Multiply that by whatever large waders, and I'm probably clocking in at about, I don't know, 300 pounds because I can't move. So she, she gets done, and, and normally I would walk out this side, and she walked out that side, and I'm looking at the guys at the back, giving them like the, because I, I can't move. And, and so the guys at the back figured it out, and they lowered the screen down. If there, if there was video of this, man, I could have won a million dollars. So I'm in that baptistry. I know I've only got about three and a half minutes. I cannot get out of the baptistry. 
I'm flopping like a fish out of water. I can't move. So finally, I just lay down in the water. And, and like I get the pressure equalized, right? So I get the pressure I get the, take the waders off while I'm still in the water. I get out and I am soaking wet. I mean, soaked. Well, I don't have any options here. So I put my coat on, went downstairs, and I am dripping in the floor. The whole time I'm preaching, the whole stage is soaking wet because I am soaking wet. But she did not drown. And to that we say, praise the Lord. <laughs> second, second bad story, really quick. This wasn't much later. I had a, a person who had come to faith in Christ, and uh, I'm just going to say that the way, way my mom would talk about me when I was a kid, I was big boned. Well, this person was really big boned, really tall, heavy set guy, big guy. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get this guy into the water and get him out of the water? So we're, we're upstairs, we're behind, the song's playing, we're getting ready to start, and this guy looks at me, and he's a big guy. He looks at me and says, oh, by the way, I'm scared to get my face in the water. <laughs> Bro, we're a little late for that one, I, you know, because, you know, we baptize, which means we, we, I'm putting you under. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's going to happen. So we get in the water, and this guy's way bigger than me, and I'm going through my usual thing, and I, I go to put him under the water, and I got him, his, the water got right about here, and he freaked out. When I mean freaked out, he started hitting the water like he was drowning, and I didn't know what to do, so I just turned loose of him and backed up. <laughs> so that's the only time in my ministry, 18 years of ministry, where this guy baptized himself because I was out. He didn't drown, so there's two. I'm in the good. So 18 years of ministry, folks who are getting, we're getting ready to baptize, I've never lost one yet, so we're not starting today. But you have to admit that the whole concept of baptism is a little bit awkward, is it not? I mean, think about it. These, these folks are getting ready to come up in front of all of you. Most of them, most of you, they don't know. Thankfully, their family, many of their friends are here. And, and we're, listen, we're asking them to get into a tank of water so that we can lay them back in the water and bring them up. I mean, to the rest of the world, that seems really odd, and I get that. But listen, there are two ordinances that is commanded of the church to participate in. One of them is what we call communion, where we come around the Lord's table and we remember his death and his suffering and the blood that he shed. We call that communion of the Lord's table. That's one that we are commanded to do. The second one is baptism. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at John the Baptist, his ministry. I want to look at Jesus' baptism because there's also some confusion with his baptism as, as to why would, would Jesus come to John the Baptist and be baptized. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. And I think in this story that we're going to see here, this narrative, we're going to see some key factors about why we practice baptism. And I'm going to give you just several key points as to why as a church we practice baptism. So the first thing I want you to see is, let's pick it up in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, this John the Baptist character, and he's just that, he's a, he's a pretty strange character. We have this guy who, who basically we're found, we find in Scripture that he, when he is conceived in his mother's womb, that he is full of the Holy Spirit and that he has a very specific ministry that God has called him to. Even before he was born, this was the ministry of John the Baptist. And that ministry was to prepare everyone's hearts for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
So John the Baptist's ministry, his ministry, was to go and proclaim that the Messiah, the one that the Israelites have been waiting for for so long, he's coming and I have come to prepare the way for him. Well, John the Baptist was a little bit of an odd guy. It says here in verse 4 that he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he, and he eats locust and honey, basically whatever he could find in the wilderness. And, and, and Matthew takes the time here to, to connect us to Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He takes the time to say to us that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets had said, that when Messiah comes, there would be one that would come before him. John the Baptist takes on that mantle. He was called to that role even before he was born. Now notice it says here that in verse 5, All Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan were going out to see him. So here's John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness area of of the Jordan River. Now, out in this area, there's nothing out there. So these people are leaving the city by droves to go out and see this guy named John the Baptist. And they're, they're enthralled with his ministry, and here's why. They knew that there would be an Old Testament style prophet who would come before Messiah. And for 400 years, over 400 years, from the closing of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament, we have basically silence from God. Now, think about that. The nation of Israel, who was accustomed to having prophets who spoke on behalf of God, they saw miracles that God did. Matter of fact, the nation that came out of Egypt, their forefathers, saw the miraculous work of God in their life in real time. But there came a point in time at the close of Malachi, that we have 400 years where there's no prophets, no word from God, basically no miracles, and the Israelites were deeply, deeply wanting this Messiah to come. All of a sudden, they hear a guy, hear of a guy who's out in the wilderness. Now, as you know, in the Old Testament, the wilderness has a whole lot of spiritual connotation to it. So they hear that there's a guy in the wilderness at the Jordan who's preaching a message. People's lives are being changed. So people begin to flock out there. And what do they find? They find a guy in camel fur with a belt around his neck, around his waist. He's eating locusts and honey. And he is very different than anything they've seen before. Yet when they see him, they're reminded of an Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 1, you can find a picture of Elijah. And guess what Elijah's wearing? The exact same thing that John the Baptist is wearing. So all these people are going out to him. And then in verse six, we get this. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan and they were confessing their sins. In other words, God was using this wild looking man out in the wilderness to convince people that they had strayed from God. And when they would hear his message, they, they, would, they would confess their sins, and it says here, verse, it says later that they would, they would repent. In other words, they not only confessed that they had done wrong and rebelled against God, but they were willing to turn away from that and then to once again follow God and live by his precepts. And then they would follow that with baptism. So the first point that I want to get to this morning is the first thing that I want to tell you about baptism and why we do it is baptism displays repentance and forgiveness. Now, our baptism, what we refer to as believer's baptism within the church, when we use that terminology, this is what we mean. We mean that a person who's being baptized and the ones you're getting ready to see baptized, they have already put their faith in Jesus. 
They have already come to that place where they have surrendered their life. They have confessed that they are a sinner. They are, they are putting their faith in Christ and what he did on that cross. And as such, they are being transformed from the inside out. At the very moment a person puts their faith in Jesus, they are changed from the inside out. They have a new heart, a new life, a new perspective, a new purpose, a new mission, a new outlook on life at that very moment. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that at the moment we put our faith in Jesus, there comes this point where God, his wrath turns away from us. There's a big fancy word that we use in theology, but it's the word justification. And it basically means that at the moment we profess Christ as our King and as our Savior, at that very moment, the wrath that we deserve for all of our rebellion is turned away and that God adopts us as sons and daughters into his family. Isn't that incredible? So God then becomes your father. So what happens with these people as they go out to hear John the Baptist, they, they, they come under conviction and they begin to confess their sins and they begin to repent and they followed that with baptism. Now, John's baptism is a little different than our baptism. Not entirely, but a little bit. John the Baptist, the best way to think of him is a bridge. He is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is the bridge that moves us away from the Old Testament prophets and towards Jesus. So John the Baptist, his ministry bridges us from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to the New Covenant, what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross and his resurrection. So John the Baptist is that bridge. And through this moment, through his ministry, people are following their repentance by symbolizing it in the Jordan River. So here's what's happening. They would confess their sins and turn away from their rebellion John would take them into the Jordan River and he would baptize them, not because the water somehow miraculously cleansed them, but because it was symbolic of what God had already done in their life. Every one of these folks that you're going to see in just a little while that we're going to baptize, every one of them, every one of them have already put their faith in Christ. Every one of them have already been forgiven. Every one of them have already been adopted by God. And so when they come to this baptistry pool, what they are doing, when we lay them back in the water and we bring them up, what that is saying to the whole world is that they've been forgiven. They have turned from their old way of living. And in fact, Romans chapter 6 says that we have died. We've died with Christ. That the old me is dead. And we bring them up out of the water. We celebrate the new life that Christ has given the second thing that I want you to see is in verse 7. He says, but he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. So in other words, the Jewish leadership is now coming out to John the Baptist at the Jordan River to see what's going on. And I want you to see how John refers to them. He says to them, you brood of vipers. Well, that doesn't sound very welcoming. He calls them a bunch of snakes. And the reason he does that is because he knows who they are. He knows that behind their religious facade, behind this, well, how they put themselves in front of people as being holy and, and better than everyone else, he knows that in their heart, they're actually very broken people. He says, you guys are a brood of vipers. Why have you come out here? Why have you come out to see what I'm doing? Why have you come here? And he says to them, he says, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you say you're going to repent, then live that out. But don't play games. Don't come out and just see the show. If you're going to repent, and if you repent, then your life, the way you live, should mirror that. But what I want you to see is what he says to them. 
He says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. This gets us to our second point. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is not salvation. Now, why is that important? Because these Pharisees and Sadducees who came to see what John the Baptist was doing, you know what they were relying on to make them right with God? They were relying on being good people, which means they were trying to keep the law. All 613 of them, they were trying their best to to keep all these commandments of God and keep them perfectly. And what they were able to do was to make this this facade or, or to give off this image as though they were holy. But on the inside, Jesus said they were full of dead men's bones. In other words, on the outside, they looked holy, but on the inside, they were corrupt. On the outside, they looked like they were following God, but on the inside, they were full of pride and arrogance. On the outside, they looked as though everything between them and God was fine, but on the inside, well, they were just as lost as lost could be. They were just as lost as the Gentiles of Athens, the ones who were following philosophy, the ones who were following other gods and other religions, these Jewish leaders, and John the Baptist knew it, were putting their hope, well, in being good men by keeping the law. The reason that I want to draw your attention to the fact that baptism is not salvation is because there are a lot of churches and a lot of ministers who will teach and proclaim that If you've not been baptized, then you've not been born again. If you've not been baptized, then you've not been saved. And get this, they're doing exactly the same thing these Pharisees and Sadducees were doing with John the Baptist. They're relying on some work. They're relying on something we must do. And and the amazing thing about our flesh and the amazing thing about our humanity in relation to God is that we're always striving to do something so that God will accept us. It is so hard for humanity to simply accept the free gift of salvation. We keep thinking that there's something I must do. But the reality is there is nothing that you can do. And it doesn't matter if you've been baptized so many times, the fish know you by name. If you're counting on baptism for salvation, you're counting in a false gospel. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ, your faith in him. And that must come before baptism. I've said this to you before. If you've been to any baptisms here, you've heard me say this. This water in here is not holy water. We got it right out of that spigot right over there. It's city water just like what's your house. It's not been blessed by a priest. This, this water has no salvation properties to it. It is simply water. And what's going to happen in this baptistry is not giving salvation to these folks who are going in there. They've already made that choice. They've already surrendered to Christ. What they're doing today is to share with the whole world that they are not ashamed of what Christ has done for them. So they come before all of their peers and people they don't know and say, you know what? I've died to myself and I've been resurrected to new life. They're telling a story. They're not getting saved. I'm going to say something at this moment that may come across as rather strong or You might even think it's narrow-minded, but I'm going to say it anyway. Any church, any ministry, any book that you're reading that says you must be baptized to be saved is teaching a false gospel. And you need to put it down. You need to turn the radio off. You need to walk away from it because nowhere in Scripture does it say you must be baptized to be saved. The thief on the cross, you remember him, right? 
the guy next to Jesus who called out to Jesus and put faith in Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to him? Jesus responded to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. That guy wasn't a member of a church. That guy didn't get baptized. That guy didn't give a dime to the local fellowship. He never walked into a synagogue. He never lived out the law. As a matter of fact, he broke the law. That's why he's on that cross. And yet, Jesus welcomed him into the kingdom. Any teaching that says you must be baptized, whether by sprinkling or immersion, to be saved, is teaching a false gospel. Baptism is not salvation. Look at verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John begins to draw a distinction between the baptism that he's doing at the Jordan versus the baptism that Jesus is going to initiate through his death and resurrection. He says that Jesus and his ministry and eventually the church, they're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this third point I want you to see is baptism Not only does it display repentance and forgiveness, and baptism is not salvation, baptism reveals our renewed relationship to the Father. So Jesus, his ministry is going to include baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's that's an odd phrase, isn't it? So what does he mean by that? What does John the Baptist mean? Well, through the, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist is actually able, without even knowing it, to look ahead to the New Testament church. So there's one, one uh, category of thought about this that is talking about that time we call Pentecost. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, we find 120 in the upper room, the 11 disciples, and the others who were following Jesus, they're there in that upper room. They've been there for 10 days praying. And, and Jesus had told them that the Holy Spirit was going to fall upon them and that the Holy Spirit, for the first time in human history, was going to indwell a human being. And so in that moment in the upper room, that happens. There's a sound like a wind rushes through that room. The ones that are in that room are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is now living in them. And at the same time, they see these little, what looks like tongues of fire above each of the people in the room. And so some people say that, or think that, that when John the Baptist is talking about this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in that, that moment of fire in the upper room. That's one possibility, but that's not exactly what I think is happening here. And the reason I don't think so is the context in which this was written. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into a barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what is John the Baptist talking about? He's talking about this one who's coming, that he's not even worthy to carry his sandals, not even worthy of of even touching his feet. He says that that Messiah, he's going to baptize with Holy Spirit, but he's also going to baptize with fire. And it comes down to this. There's only two categories of people in the world, only two. Here, John the Baptist illustrates it this way. He illustrates it by wheat and by chaff. And so in, in those days when they had to gather wheat into their barn, They had all the stalks and all the leaves that was in with the wheat, and they had to separate the wheat from the leaves and the stalks. So how would they do it? They had these winnowing forks, and they would throw it up in the air. The wind would blow the chaff, the the leaves, the stalks, and blow it away. The seed would fall back down, and they would gather the wheat. I think what Jesus, or what John the Baptist is talking about concerning Jesus' ministry, is that those who believe in Christ are given the Holy Spirit who lives inside of them. But for those who reject Christ, well... They will find themselves in judgment. That's what he says in verse 12. So Jesus 
both comes to bring the Holy Spirit, your belief in him, you're given the Holy Spirit at that moment. So get this, when you profess faith in Jesus Christ, God lives in you. I know it's crazy. I know it sounds amazing. It's almost hard to believe. But the fact of the matter is that when Jesus cleanses you, now God abides with you, not only with you, but in you. So you can live out what Jesus has called you to live out. You can live by his precepts. You can live by his boundaries. You can live in his promise simply because God lives in you. So baptism reveals this renewed relationship to the Father. Romans chapter 6 says that we've been crucified with Christ and resurrected to new life. We, we have a new relationship with God through Christ that we could have never had before and we could have never obtained on our own. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? So now we have Jesus who's come to the Jordan. John looks from the water. Maybe he's in the water and he sees Jesus on the shore. In other gospels, we have John saying this, look, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. John knew who he was. And Jesus comes down into the water with John. And he says to John, John, I want you to baptize me. Now, this has caused people problems for years. Why in the world would Jesus ask John the Baptist to baptize him? If, if John's baptism is one of repentance, does this mean that Jesus had some sins that he had to repent of? Does, does this mean that that if John is going to baptize Jesus, that means that Jesus had sin in his life, that he was, he was somehow living in rebellion and disobedience, and therefore he comes to John and asks John to baptize him just like everyone else that was on the banks that day. Well, look at what John says to him. John says to him, I, I'm going to prevent this. I, I need to be baptized by you, not, not me baptizing you. In other words, John knew that Jesus was not like everyone else on those shore that day. John knew that Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. And in that moment, John says, there's no way that I'm going to baptize you. If anything, you need to baptize me. The Bible says that, that Jesus had no sin in his life. He never thought anything wrong. He never said anything wrong. And he never did anything wrong. Always in the perfect will of his Father. So why did Jesus come to John the Baptist be baptized? Well, I think it's because baptism is an act or a sign of obedience. So these candidates that are getting ready to be uh, baptized, they are doing this out of obedience to their Lord, to their King, and to their Father. Notice what Jesus says when he responds to John the Baptist, verse 15. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, this is the right thing to do, John. Not that Jesus was a sinner, but that this is the will of the Father. And that Jesus was completely surrendered to the will of the Father. And not only that, Jesus says to every one of his followers in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, he says that last command that he gives to the church, he says, now go therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Jesus, in his final words to the church, in his final words to his disciples, what does he say? He says, go and tell people about me. 
go be witnesses for me. And when they put faith in me, you baptize them. In other words, it is an act of obedience to Christ to follow salvation with baptism. If you've been coming here any amount of time, you've heard me say this, you maybe get tired of me saying it, but it's worth saying again because I think it's important. Baptism is the easiest thing that Jesus is ever going to ask you to do. And I know for, for even our candidates right now, they're getting more nervous as we get closer to the end of the service. There's a lot of anxiety with getting in front of a group of people and doing this. I get that. But, but Jesus says that the first thing he wants us to do after we profess faith in him is to, is to cry that out publicly through baptism. So much so that in the final words he gave to the church, baptism is one key element of that. So Jesus is saying, I want you to start out a life of obedience to me by first being baptized. And I have found that for those who refuse baptism, now hear me well, this is just experience I've, I've seen. For those who are refusing baptism, find it awfully easy to disobey God in other areas of their life. But I've also found that those who follow Christ in baptism, in obedience, find it easier to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Not that it's going to be easy. Now that we're not going to struggle with it, but I can guarantee you this. If you've been born again and you've not followed it with baptism, I guarantee you're going to struggle in every area of your life until you're obedient to the one thing that Christ told you to do first after you put faith in him. And folks, this will be the easiest thing that Jesus ever asked you to do. This is the easiest thing. It doesn't get any easier after that. Taking up a cross and following Jesus while it's the best life any person could ever live. It's the absolute best life you could have. But taking up a cross daily and dying to yourself, that's not easy. And if you're not willing to follow in baptism, it's going to be a whole lot easier to disobey him in other areas of your life. So baptism is an act of obedience. Jesus says we must do this in fulfillment of all things that are right. I also think that baptism puts a smile on the Father's face. Notice this, verse 17. After Jesus has been baptized, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, that was a unique thing. God's speaking audibly. Do you know how many times God speaks audibly? Not many, especially in the New Testament. But here in this moment, there's a voice from heaven that says, that's my son, and I am pleased in my son. Every time you are obedient to the Father, the Father is pleased. It's not as though he, he loves you less when you disobey. Don't think that for a moment. God's love for you is consistent and perfect no matter what you do. But listen, to please your father means to obey him. And I think for these that are going to be baptized in just a little while, I think the father is well pleased with their obedience. Verse 16, I want you to look at see this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Now this, this is going to be a little bit of a controversial thing, but it's worth saying, so I'm going to say it. Not only do we believe that, that baptism is an act of obedience, but we also believe that baptism is by immersion. Now, why do I bring that up? Is that, is that something that's just a denominational thing, and I'm, gonna, I'm now going to emphasize one denomination over another? No, if you were sprinkled, if you come of a Methodist background or Presbyterian background, I don't want to take away from what happened when you, when you did that, but let me, let me just be very clear as to why we are a Baptist church. You shouldn't be surprised that we baptize. And by baptize, we mean we're going to stick you under the water. Now, why is that important to us? Because of what we find in Scripture. It says here that Jesus came up 
from the water. There's no way that you can come up from the water unless you went, what, down into the water? That's just one example. I can give you many all through the New Testament. Over and over again, we see the idea of immersion baptism. Now, because we immerse doesn't make us better than anyone else. But I will tell you this. As a conviction of this church, baptism has been and will continue to be a tank of water. Yeah, it's inconvenient. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to do all this. Would it be easier to, to sprinkle someone? Yeah, it'd be easier. But because we want to be as close to what Jesus did in this Jordan River and to be as close as what Paul taught and what we see in the book of Acts, we are going to baptize by immersion. Yes, it's a big ask for you to follow your salvation and get in front of the people and do this. But I think it's exactly what Christ asks us to do by way of immersion baptism. Also, I think that baptism by immersion is the only way really to symbolize what has really happened in this person's life. So, in Romans chapter 6, if you turn over there, you don't have to, but Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and about through 13, it talks about how we have died in Christ and we've been resurrected to new life. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we've died with Christ and we've been resurrected to new life. So the baptistry, immersion in particular, illustrates that very well. In just a little while, you're going to see some people be laid back into the water. It's going to look like they're dead. They're going to have probably their arm crossed in front of them, and they're going to be laid back. We don't leave them there. We bring them up. And that signifies the resurrection that we experienced in Christ, resurrected to new life. And by the way, that's a great and awesome time to celebrate as a church family. Every single person who goes through the baptism, that we need to celebrate that with them. And then finally, the last point I want to make, baptism is the starting point of our ministry. After this, Jesus is going to go into the wilderness and he's going to be tempted for 40 days by Satan. And then after that, all of his public ministry begins. He begins to preach. He begins to heal. He begins to, to go all over Galilee talking about the good news and what he's come to do. And just like with Jesus' ministry, it is the beginning point of our ministry, baptism, because now we have died to ourselves, resurrected to new life. It, it illustrates the forgiveness and the repentance that we've experienced prior to coming to the baptistry. Now we are saying that we are ready to serve in the body of Christ. Every single believer has been endowed with at least one spiritual gift or more. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have been called to serve within the local church body as an act of worship back to God. So the folks who are being baptized this morning, it is a, it is a statement that, that is the beginning point of their ministry, their walk with Christ, their obedience to him, and to use those gifts in the building up of the kingdom. So two things before we close and get ready for these candidates to be baptized. Number one, what have you put your faith in when it comes to salvation? If I ask you, if I were to ask you this question, you just answer this to yourself. If I ask you the question, at the point you come at which you die, at the, point, at the moment you're coming in your life where your life is about over, how confident are you that, that when you breathe your last breath, you're going to be in the presence of Christ? What are you putting your faith in? How do you, how do you answer that question? What, what are you putting your faith in for salvation? If your answer is church membership, baptism, some great mission trip you went on, 
if it's a denomination, if it's, if it's hey, I was sprinkled as a child, if, if your faith is in anything else other than Jesus Christ, his death, his blood, his burial, his resurrection, if your faith is in anything other than that, you're being misled. And the last thing I would have for you is to get to the end of your life only to find out that you, in fact, are not ready to die. The second thing, maybe you followed, maybe you have come to that place where you surrendered your life to Christ. You have, you have been born again. You have been changed from the inside out, and you know that, but you have never followed that with baptism. I'm going to do something crazy this morning. It's okay. And the reason it's okay is because I have a tank of water right there. If you've come to faith in Christ and you've never followed that in baptism, guess what? All you got to do is come meet me in the back here in just a little bit. We'll baptize you today. I don't care if you don't have another change of clothes. I don't care if you don't have a towel. We got that covered. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, it is time for you to act in obedience and be baptized. So I'm getting rid of all of the barriers this morning to say now's the day. So your response this morning may be during this last song to just come back there and we'll figure it out. Okay? But don't be afraid and don't put this off any longer. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.